Take your Bibles and turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture. Many of you would know it even without looking at it. It's Isaiah chapter 55. We'll be reading in just a moment from verses uh, 8 through 12. Again, very familiar, Isaiah 55. But in sharing with you tonight, I'm kind of coming from where I am in life and, uh, and maybe where we are as a ministry in life because as God allows us to continue to reach and to grow, uh, I don't know if you might be a lot like me. Uh, I want answers, and I want them yesterday. And I won't—I I don't necessarily—I know who's in control, but a lot of times I try to take control, and I try to push things through. And sometimes I have to slow down and say, "Okay, David, you've got to realize this has got to be a God thing, and it's got to be under God's direction." And, and and I'll be asking God and praying, God, is this what is this where you want us to go? Is this how you want us to do it? And and it seems like sometimes it's just like Bozier. We've uh, been working on finding property in Bozier City for over five years, and I have just struggled with that. And we have made offers, and we have searched, and we have prayed, and we've uh, invested blood, sweat, and tears in it. And every door would continue to close, just one after another. And I'm excited to say God's will be done this week. We'll sign a contract on a used car dealership in Bozier this week after five years. And I realize God's in control. It's his time, not mine. Because out of all the properties we've looked at, this is the best one yet. And if I had had control of it, we'd have chosen something a long time ago that wouldn't have been nearly as suitable as what he's making available to us now. But we face life, and we have so many questions about life. And we wonder sometimes, does God hear our prayers? And why doesn't he answer? We recently celebrated, and and I have to be reminded of of how old I am. We won't go there with you either. (laughs) Somebody's here tonight that works for us that didn't know where to put the needle on an album this week when we were testing out a record player. One of our employees. <laughs> but when we look at where we are in life, many of you will remember the, the moon landing that we just celebrated the anniversary. And as famous as that is, probably the, one of the more famous missions is the one that was written about and movies were made about, and it's Apollo 13. We all know about mission control and that center and And when there's aerospace flight, usually from the point of liftoff to return, mission control has has control of that mission. The astronauts might carry out their duties, but they are being told by mission control what they are to do, how they are to do it, and, and, and the instructions. On that fateful Apollo 13 mission, two days into it, approximately 200,000 miles from Earth, they had an oxygen tank blowout. And there was a communication between Mission Control, that building number 30 at the Manned Spacecraft Center in Houston, Texas, and that flight, Apollo 13, and it was the words that have now been made famous, Houston, we have a problem. And sometimes that's what we say to God. God, I have a question. God, I have a problem. God, why don't you answer me? And it's not that we doubt God, but again, it's that we want to have control and we, we want it to search answers. And, and, and it just, in a way, shows our human desire for greater understanding and maybe a, our human frailty. 
But sometimes life can become overwhelming, and I know families that have dealt with that even this week. And we look at that, and I'm reminded of a famous poet out of the 1700s, and uh, he was actually uh, Jeremy good friends with with, uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. But William Cowper was one of the great poets of that age, and yet he struggled with life and searching for the answers, and he reached a point in his life where he thought that it just wasn't worth it to go on. He couldn't find the answers. By the way, he he eventually turned to become a very fervent Christian, and, uh, and God used him in a wonderful way. But one night he called, of course, dated again in the 1700s, a horse-drawn carriage to carry him to the river there because he wanted to end his life. And as the story goes, and it depends on who you read, some say it was by faith that there was a thick fog that night and the cabbie got lost. And when he let him out, he didn't carry him to the river. When he let him out, he let him out back on his own doorstep. Other stories will tell you that the cabbie intervened in his life and just carried him home after riding him around in the fog. It doesn't matter. What matters is is that when somebody's life was spinning out of control, God was still in control, and he was putting people in in his life to take care of him in his time of need. William Cowper would go on to pen these words, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfailing minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds ye so much dread. They are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Beneath a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. We all do have those situations in life that leave us asking why, that leave us asking what, that might leave us asking where. It might concern health. It might be with a job. It might be where to go for an education. It might be a direction in life that God is leading us. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It could be a co-worker. It might be ourselves. We all know those situations. And like I said, asking why does not mean that we don't have faith in God. Pick up God's word. And some of the greatest men and women of God's word who were followers of God and in the New Testament of Jesus Christ had times in their life when they asked questions and searched for answers. But again, we live in an age where everything... We want it packaged and logical and and just right there in front of us. And we need to understand something. We cannot put God in a box. God is in control, not ourselves. And as we ask God why or what or, or why now and we try to find logic in the answers, we will find sometimes that to us God's plans don't seem logical. That's where faith comes in. 
So what do we do when we face uncertainty? What do we do when we have questions and we need answers and, and we're looking for direction in life? We look to his word. And this passage out of Isaiah is one of my favorite. Beginning in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I want to start dissecting briefly this passage tonight by us understanding the foundational truth under those verses is given to us at the very beginning when God says in his word, my thoughts, verse 8, are higher than your thoughts. He tells us in his word that his thoughts are completely different from us. He doesn't think the way we think. It's far beyond anything that you and I can understand or even begin to imagine. Not only that, but we need to understand that his thoughts, his way was in place before even the foundation of the world. I love that passage out of Job where... He talks to Job, and this is what he said. I mean, this, this tells us the majesty and the sovereignty and the fact that God's in control when the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. And he said, and it's a more modern translation, but it, it speaks to what I'm trying to say tonight. He said, God speaks, Who is this that questions my wisdom with ignorant words? Brace yourselves because I have some questions for you. You need to answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Do you know its dimensions and how they were determined? Did you do the surveying? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? We must note not only that, but Scripture tells us even more. While we may think we're wise, our wisdom is foolishness to God. We need to realize who's in control. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Scripture also said, God catches those who think they're wise in their own foolishness. So we have to understand his thoughts, his ways are, are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But as we look at, at his ways, that, that means that as we follow him, it becomes a journey that we take not by sight, but by faith. Your walk and my walk is a faith journey. It's a journey of trust. Once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and he begins to lead us, visually we might not can see where we're going. And so we walk by the faith that God gives us to trust him because he loves us and he wants the best for us. 
In fact, the writer of Hebrews even said that it's impossible to please God without faith, and we need to understand that. Verse 12, when it talks about the, the, and you'll go out and be led forth in peace, and the hills will burst into song before you, and the, and the, and the fields and the trees will clap their hands. I think all of you would agree with me tonight, we live in a world desperate for peace. We live in a world desperate for people where people are desperate to find joy. And they're searching in all the wrong places. We need to understand that joy, that peace, that, that, that we need on the inner part of our soul and our being is a relationship with the creator God who is in control of our lives and in control of this world. And we'll be blessed when we walk in his way. The psalmist said that in Psalm 1, blessed is the man, talking about walking with God. In Proverbs, we read where if we follow his instruction, we will prosper. And that's not necessarily prosperity as the world defines prosperity, but we will prosper as God defines it. He says if we trust him, we'll be filled with joy. You know, one thing we've got to understand, though, and this has been touched on recently even through uh, Dr. Reggie preaching, uh, following God's not an easy path. It's tough. It requires sacrifice. Those followers in God's word in the Old Testament and later the followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, they paid dearly for their commitment and their willingness to, to have that faith walk. We live in a world that is becoming more hostile to Christianity every day. We live in a nation that is becoming more hostile to Christianity every day. And I'm telling you, for us to do what God's called us to do, to walk where God's called us to walk, we can only do it when we understand that he's in control and that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to give us direction in our day of questions. I think the best way to illustrate this, and I don't fly. I don't fly a plane, and I don't like to get on planes that fly, but I'd rather a plane that I get on that it would fly. But many of you have been tracking the tech student that's on the world, around the world, and, and all of that. And I was keeping up with the river dogs earlier this summer. Now I'm keeping up with him. But uh, let's take it from the perspective of, of a pilot. If a pilot is, is uh, piloting a plane and flying over a mountainous terrain, and he looks down on that terrain, and what he sees is there's a semi-truck and a car. And the car's behind the truck. Some of you've been there. And you're in a mountainous terrain where there's no way to get around the truck. But you see, from above, the pilot can see that no one is coming. That it would be safe for the car to pass the truck. But from their perspective down on the ground, they can't see it. From his perspective above, he can see it. It's the same way spiritually. We've got to realize that as we look at our daily walk and our life journey, we're looking at it from this perspective. God's looking at it from his perspective. And he sees it. He sees where we are. 
He sees the big picture. He sees what we can't see. We look at life from the aspect of the created. He looks at life from the aspect of the creator. And there's a big difference. We might not like my next statement, but I think it, it's, it's theological and it's true. God doesn't know us an explanation. We come to God a lot of times, and it's almost like we get angry because we want answers, and we demand that God answer us, and we need to understand who God is and who we are. Created and creator. Rather than him being answerable to us, we are answerable to him. We need to understand that if God chooses to keep things a mystery, that's his prerogative. So what do we do? Well, Luke tells us we pick up our cross daily and we follow him. We follow him. Even when we don't have the answers, even when we don't understand, even when we're on the mountaintops filled with joy, even when we're in the valleys of the darkest night, we follow him. If we go back to our scripture, though, we need to realize as we read between the lines that God is asking them a question, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, it's not phrased as a question, but when he says, and as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and does not return void without watering the earth and making the buds flourish and yielding seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so it is my word that goes out of my mouth. If we read between the lines, and again, I don't think I'm, I'm assuming too much here, we need to understand that God is saying, if I know what every drop of water does, surely you understand I know what's happening in your life. Some of you have seen my Facebook post. I guess that's kind of where we are in life as we're searching. Yesterday, Jerry and I were seated on the back porch of our home during one of those afternoon pop-up showers. And in all my life, I've never seen a small rainbow. But all of a sudden, a rainbow appeared in our backyard, and I could see both ends of it. And by the way, there was no pot of gold at either end. <laughs> but it blew me away, and she and I were snapping pictures like we knew what we were doing, just trying to capture that moment. But as somebody responded back to me, I don't remember if it was in a response to the Facebook post or, or somebody said something to me today, I can't remember. But they said, you know, that's just a reminder of who's in control. And I thought, well, that kind of goes with tonight's message. God, you're in control. Was that message in that rainbow when I'm searching for these answers in life right now? Was that message, hey, don't worry about it, I got you back. I got this. You just trust me and follow me. Several years ago, a man wrote words after being in an earthquake. Have y'all ever been in an earthquake? Oh, come on, somebody. A few of you. Any of you go to the game when Tech played Arkansas a couple of years ago? None of y'all were up there? 
Some fans y'all are. You weren't there? Jerry and I were there. And that morning, she had gotten up ahead of me. I was lying in bed. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I got vertigo. Because when it hits, when I get vertigo, it's like fall out of bed vertigo. You know what I'm talking about? Overnight, I wake up with it. And I grabbed the wall, and I realized I don't have vertigo. Something's not right. <laughs> and they had a four-point-something earthquake not far from where we were staying. If that was a four, I don't want to be in anything any bigger. It was frightening. I could literally, it felt like the walls were swaying. It, it's, it's the weirdest feeling that you have no control over what's happening around you. So I can only imagine the massive earthquakes that occur. This man had, had, had experienced one of those, and he wrote his experience down as this. He said, it was a strange experience, a feeling that I had nothing to stand on and nothing to hold on to. I looked at the most solid structures, and they were falling around me. And I thought how that applies spiritually to, to where we are sometimes in life because sometimes it is a strange experience because all of a sudden when the world starts caving in on us, we say, God, I don't have anything to hold on to. I don't have anything to stand on. But then this guy with the earthquake and also the, our answer said, I rushed out into the open area and the ground was heaving. I looked at the trees and they were swaying. The hills were reeling. The the sea was rocking, and it was only when I looked to heaven that my eyes rested on something firm. And that can be said about us as we walk spiritually through this life, that when all of life around us is heaving, when we're trying to grab something to hold on to, we need to look to heaven and to God for something firm. His will is going to be accomplished in our lives, in the life of this church, where you work, in your family, ministry, whatever it might be. But that brings me back again. We may not know the answers, but God does. And his thoughts are bigger than our thoughts, higher than our thoughts, his ways, higher than ours. Now I'm fixing to use an illustration that is way beyond anything that I understand. And some of you are a lot smarter than me in here. I'm not very computer savvy. But some of you still have a flip phone, so I'm ahead of you. <laughs> Any of you remember your first computer or the first time you had a chance to touch a computer? I'm looking at Dwight back there shaking his head. I mean, you know... I guess kids at the thrift store today wouldn't know what a manual typewriter is. But it is amazing what is being accomplished through computers and supercomputers. The year was 2006. At that time, the world's most powerful computer was an IBM called Blue Genie slash L. It was housed at the Lawrence Livermore laboratory in California, and I've got to read these numbers through this illustration because I would never remember them. It could perform 280 trillion calculations a second. 
But that was nothing to be compared to, the, at that time, the computer that the Department of Energy was putting together in New Mexico called the Roadrunner Project. That project and that computer began to arrive there in New Mexico at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. It took 36 moving vans to get it there. When it was set up, it is the size or was the size, I don't know if it's still operate or not. Like I said, I didn't have but a day to get ready for this. So I was researching stuff this afternoon. But uh, it said that when it was set up, it, it, it filled up the size of a hockey rink, and it used the same amount of power as a small town. Its goal was to be the first computer. Now, now hold on to this. I know this, you won't know this to break the PDF flop barrier, okay? So I looked that up this afternoon. I didn't know what that was. I even tried to look up the pronunciation to make sure I pronounced it right, so I might not even be saying it right for you scholars in here that know your computers. That barrier is a quadrillion calculations a second. How fast is that? In 2006, that was roughly a billion times faster than the desktop that you had on your desk. Fast forward to this year, June 8th of 2018. For the first time in five years, the U.S. is now ahead of China again, although they have more supercomputers than we do. Uh, we now have the fastest computer again. It is at the U.S. Department of Energy at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and it's called the Summit Supercomputing Machine. They can only assume theoretically how, how many calculations it can do, but they estimate that it can do 200 pedioflops. To put that in human terms, I don't know if you can, it would be like 6.3 billion people having to make a calculation at the same time every second for an entire year to match what the summit could do in one second. Now, I know I've lost some of you. You've tuned me out. I'm almost through with this. Actually, I'm not, but bear with me. Supercomputing technology is, is advancing so rapidly that even those who are a part of it cannot wrap their minds or, or, or anything around it. In just over a, a year, we've gone from 125 flops to 200. At eight times the speed of the U.S.'s fastest computer, the summit is a major advance for our country country's supercomputing efforts. And as I sat there and read this afternoon, because I was, even though I don't understand it and I can't explain it, it intrigues me. And so I like to read about it and I will begin to read more and more about it. Supercomputers have so many multiple uses. And as I was reading this afternoon, it said that this supercomputer that is now a part of the United States is essential to our national security and welfare of the public. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uses it to predict the weather, climate trends, and patterns. 
And then I thought to myself, but I know the one who made the weather and who still controls it. The energy department uses this supercomputer to detect data and use data to find oil and natural gas deposits, and I thought I know the one who put them there. The National Security Agency and similar government bodies rely on it to track encryption, uh, to crack encryption codes, and I thought I know the, the one who made the mines that made those codes. These powerful machines, it says, are used in research, genomic research, and I thought, and I know the one who said, I knitted your inward parts, I knew you before you were even born. As impressive as this is, now hold on to this, because this will give you a headache. It is estimated, even with these machines, they are leading toward the stepping stone. Their goal is to build a machine that can do a, a thousand pediaflops rather than the 200 where we are now. Rick Perry, Energy Secretary, said they want that, that machine online as early as 2021. But did you know that scientists who study the human body estimate that our brain processes 10 quadrillion operations a second. That's some estimates. And I thought, mine doesn't do that. <laughs> Yours might, mine doesn't. But you know, as I was reading, stop and think about how God designed us. And we're closing here. The vast majority of our brain, they say a lot of it's not used and we won't even go there. <laughs> but our brain, a big portion of it is used to keep us alive. And God created us in his image. And he gifted us with a mind and a soul. And that brain that he put in our heads that is faster than the fastest computers allows us to learn at all levels. It keeps our body alive and itself alive. Think about that. That's a miracle created by God. It coordinates our body, our conscious body and our unconscious actions. It makes us self-aware. It allows us to process and do whatever our mind wants it to do. And as we look at this, it made me draw back and think about our passage of Scripture. As impressive as those supercomputers might be to some of you, others of you could care less, but as impressive as those supercomputers are, and now they're talking about dealing with artificial intelligence and all of that, and as, as gifted as God has made us and, and our brains, we need to understand something. It doesn't, either one of them, begin to compare to the mind of God. The God who controls all of this. The God who put it in place. Who made it. Who is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. He's the one in control. 
And he said, as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than yours, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There's no denying here tonight that we live in a world where a lot of circumstances are beyond our control. We live in a world where events occur that we wish that we could control. There are things that happen that we wish we could change. There are answers that we want to questions that we have. But in the midst of all of that, what our greatest desire should be to be is to live in peace with God, in a relationship with him as we trust him in that faith walk, understanding what his word says, that he is in control, the sovereign God who created it all. Will you pray with me? Father, as we come to this time in the service where we just do a, a moment of self-reflection, Father, I pray that we would understand tonight that no matter what the circumstances of life, no matter where we are, no matter the questions that we have, you know us just like you know a drop of rain. You know our thoughts, you know the words in our mouth before we speak them, you know when we rise up, when we lay down, as Jeremiah said, there's nowhere that we can flee from your presence. And Father, may we, may we, we desire that presence as you work in our lives. I thank you, Father, that the writer of Isaiah pointed out your sovereignty, your majesty. And Father, may we trust you tonight in that faith walk as we give this time of invitation to you now. First in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.